0: Welcome to Berrycast, a podcast from CloudBerry Creative exploring all things UX. I am Virginia Bieta, your host. This season we're holding a dialogue about the broken rung that women face on the corporate design ladder by listening to some of the talented women who are changing the industry. Today's guest is Meg Rush, Chief Digital Officer at Mobi, a company that works with health plans and large employers to identify people who are frequent users of healthcare but aren't getting resolution. Meg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. So let's jump right into it. Cloudberry started inviting folks into these conversations after the AIGA and Google Design Census revealed that only 11% of women hold leadership positions and that women in the industry make 80 cents on the dollar compared to men. As one of the 11%, you're sure to have many thoughts about how to address this disparity. Um, But before we talk about how, Could you share a little bit about your thoughts around why this is a problem that needs to be addressed? There's so
1: many opportunities uh, in all these different companies, but as leaders, it's really our responsibility to make a difference and not really just support diversity and women uh, throughout our organizations, but also to help them actually get there. It needs to be a priority for all of us. And I think that mentorship is a key area that women leaders can really take an opportunity to allow additional people to kind of grow in their careers. So as a leader, I feel like it's part of my responsibility to actually pay it forward. And I identify opportunities for um, my staff to actually move forward and um, get additional experience and new opportunities as they're growing their
0: career. How did you get to where you are today?
1: You know, I naturally fell into healthcare and technology uh, very early on in my career. My journey really started um, in healthcare at my first job out of college. I worked for Aetna and it was really exciting at the time because I didn't really know much about technology. I was an economics major in undergrad and the reality is is that I wasn't really sure if I was qualified for that job or not, but I ended up taking it, and I had an opportunity to get trained on client support, on implementations, and program management, and that's really where my journey began. Now, when I think about it, um, you know, 20 plus years later, at least that's what we'll call it, most importantly, you know, I've learned a lot and I've learned really that I've become a builder as opposed to a maintainer. And I've had an opportunity to work at both large employers as well as payers, um, United Health Group, WebMD, Anthem, and whether that role was focused on product management, design, or technology... My passion really is around creating solutions and experiences that make it easier for people to access healthcare and lead healthy lives. So it's really been this progression of learning over the course of many different organizations and many different um, experiences that has, has led me here.
0: So Meg, you told me that your favorite quote is, be focused on new possibilities rather than committed to a familiar discomfort. Do you recall the most recent situation where you found that quote personally relevant?
1: What I learned early on in my career was the fact that um, it was so important that you didn't necessarily need to know how to do a job. You actually needed to just be open to it and open to learning, um, open to asking other people for help, and quite frankly, you know, doing your own homework and adding skills. So I feel like that process was something that developed over the years for me, as opposed to something that I knew back then. I do feel like that first opportunity with Aetna kind of threw me into a realm where I had to do it. So whether I knew I was doing it or not, I don't know. But I had to actually learn, I had to seek input from others, and as a result, I got very comfortable with that, um, recognizing that, you know, I, I can actually do these jobs, and it may take some extra work on my, my part, but there's a lot of people around you, you who are also looking and trying to help you be successful.
0: Yeah, I I was thinking about your story when you had submitted yourself for that first position, um, how you took a step that a lot of women wouldn't take, um, even if they were encouraged by a placement officer or somebody else. I mean, you basically put yourself out there for a position where you didn't feel like you were 100% Mm -hmm. uh, personality fit, skills fit. Uh, Many women would not make that choice, but we understand that a lot of men do. What advice would you give to a young woman or other diverse applicant now in similar circumstances?
1: You know, I think the biggest thing really goes back to being open to those new opportunities, um, recognizing them for what they are, that people around you wouldn't ask you to take that leap or be confident in you if they didn't think that you could do the job. So that's the first part. The second part is really investing in yourself as well. Um, So when you do get that new opportunity, really throw yourself into it and not just rely on your own skills, but rely on the people around you and the resources and your network to help you gain the skills that you need in order to be successful.
0: So then... That's definitely from the perspective of, you know, the applicant or the person who's building their own career. But what more can leaders and organizations do within themselves to seem more welcoming to diverse outside applicants and internal career builders?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because many women and men as well aren't necessarily being proactive about it. And we all need to own our careers. So that's one piece of it. As a leader, I think it's just as important that we are getting to know our associates and really understanding the skills and the backgrounds that they have. I believe we talked about the fact that many times you have team members in a position and what you know that of them is really what you've asked them to do what their job is. But we know that um, over the years, you gain a lot of different experiences. So the more that as a leader, I can get to know my team members, I can start to match up the skills that they have, whether they use that for their jobs today or not, with those opportunities that will give them career growth, give them skill growth, development opportunities, and that's really where I see my role playing in doing that matchmaking and ensuring that I'm not always relying on the same people, um, but instead, really giving the broad team um, opportunities to have visibility, to do presentations, potentially trainings, getting in front of clients. So, there's a lot of different um, ways that you can do it, but that responsibility kind of goes both ways. It's the responsibility of the team member, but it's also the responsibility of the leader to to create some of those opportunities for people.
0: I love that you refer to matchmaking um, just because I I think about when you let me know uh, about how you're this basically living example of a person who's found success by owning her own career, by establishing and cultivating relationships. Um, And so I'd love to hear you talk about how those relationships are a key piece of career ownership.
1: Yeah. I always, um, coin it as building your fan base, right? So, uh, you know, networking has been such an incredibly important part of my career. Um, I learned very early on when I was doing consulting, just how much a mentor could actually, um, do for you in the career, in your career and also in your skill building and relationships have been kind of this common thread throughout, My life, you know, we've lived in five different states and you work at different companies and you're an alumni and all of those networks, if you actually cultivate them, won't go away. In fact, across my entire career, there's only one job that I ever Um, didn't leverage my network in order to get. So only one job where I actually applied for the job and not really referred from somebody in my network. So they're very, very powerful. You have to work at them. You have to develop them. Those relationships happen over time. And as you build knowledge of each other and and what your skills and experience are, but um, they can be incredibly powerful in helping you to kind of find where you want to be in your career. And that's really what happened to me is that I was looking for a place where I could Leverage my expertise and background that I could help build out an organization. And that's really where I ended up with Moby. And the beautiful part of that is that the mission around Moby and helping people to live um, happier and healthier lives was so aligned with kind of where my passion has been um, in healthcare that the fit was just obvious. Yeah,
0: it's funny to, to, juxtapose the idea of being focused on new possibilities um, you know and also finding that niche where you are the most excited uh, and the most comfortable and the most interested was this opportunity with moby the most recent situation where you found you're being focused on new possibilities rather than committed to familiar discomforts uh, relevant
1: it really was um, I do think that it goes back to Um, what you're passionate about. And, you know, over the years, as you grow in your career, and you work for, you know, fortune 50 companies, organizations get larger. And what really resonated with me was the idea that I wanted to have a direct impact, a much closer impact on the lives of consumers as it relates to their healthcare. And so this opportunity, Opportunity and the, this door that opened up for me um, was really a great example of where you can actually match your skill set with people who are interested and passionate about the same things that that you are. And I do think that that's an important point for, you know, young women when they're looking for career opportunities, not just looking at the the job and the responsibilities, but, you know, is the cultural fit a good fit as well? That's just as important in whether you're going to be successful and happy um, in a new role.
0: So I understand that when you aren't busy in digital leadership, you enjoy traveling and collecting art. When did you discover your passion for these two world-expanding hobbies?
1: Yeah. So the travel, not so much. My husband is an artist and I, on the other hand, have always been the traveler because of my business. uh, I've been on the road quite a bit, but together we love art all kinds of art. And we have this passion for buying art. In fact, if you were looking at um, my living room here, the walls kind of look like a gallery. We just keep on filling every blank space with some sort of piece of art. But when we're traveling, we usually Um, try to hit national parks or we try to go out and, you know, find some hiking trails. We certainly loved um, getting out there and hiking. I think one of the uh, trips that um, I actually took without my husband was to meet a friend in Positano, Italy, which is on the Amalfi. Amalfi Coast. And um, our whole goal was to do the Path of the Gods, which was this, you know, trail that went up and around um, two different villages, which was really cool. Uh,
0: You mentioned the having every space of your walls uh, occupied by art. And I was imagining those, you know, those old, old time, like Victorian walls, where they are tiny, tiny little paintings up in obscure (laughs) corners that can barely be seen. Just wondering if you happen to have any of those
1: That's funny that you asked me that. Um, So we have a wall that we call the wall of death, because it's got skulls and it has um, crows and like all of our weird paintings are actually on this one wall. And we've got sculptures and stuff.
0: Milestone years are fun. And they mean a lot to strategists and thinkers everywhere. And the year that we're in right now, 2020, has been a big one all over. We know of networks driving towards a 50-50 by 2020 target with respect to gender parity in arts, culture, industry, and they've had varying levels of success. But 2020 was also targeted by CX thinkers as a pivot, where customer experience would overtake price and product as the key brand differentiator in the B2B universe. And companies have been preparing themselves for this moment for years, again, with varying levels of success. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering your thoughts on what key factors determine an organization's likelihood for success during this transformative time.
1: I think it all comes down to talent. Um, You know, the technology is really out there. Um, So if you think about analytics and insights, as well as, you know, natural language processing and the use of devices and sensors. So the technology is out there, but the application of that technology is where you're going to be successful or not. Um, and I think it's really important that you're looking through the eyes of the consumer themselves and really focusing in on what problems are we trying to solve for these individuals? And then how does the application of technology um, create an opportunity to solve those problems? And I think that there's a real effort going on over the last, let's call it four to five years, to drive organizational transformations, take advantage of technology and digital assets. If it's not aligned with the consumer's needs, it's not going to be successful.
0: What do you think is the most interesting or exciting innovation that Moby has brought to, the, uh, to their co- customers and consumers?
1: So going back to our discussion on the pandemic, um, we we had been really seeking input from our participants, looking at our overall um, satisfaction, and one of the pieces of feedback that we received was that the program was working so well for these participants that they really were interested in how we could provide the same service to friends and family that weren't um, eligible for our program. And so this is an area that we quickly pivoted on. Um, We created a new program and we launched it within, I think it was five weeks.
0: And how, how do you go about improving upon personalization in the B2B space?
1: So we work with large employers and, and health plans, and so there's a lot of coordination on communications and engagement practices and all of the different types of channels. So on the B2B side, we've actually at Moby developed a really high competency in engaging eligible participants. And so being able to do that and prove from an outcomes perspective that we're capturing more people, whether that's through engaging content, whether it's through core messaging, um, through the digital channels or outreach, I think that we've been able to uh, establish kind of our place with some of these um, much larger organizations as having best practices on that side by actually showing them and, and being transparent about um, the metrics that we could drive, the feedback that we get from participants, and many times those engagement rates are so significantly higher than what um, their own teams can actually get on the broad population, Uh, there's a much larger willingness for them to give us the freedom to do the type of work that we know we can do.
0: So 2020 also served up a transformational curveball that wasn't directly forecast by CX thinkers, a novel coronavirus We are recording this episode during the COVID nineteen pandemic, in both Indiana, where you are, and New York, where I am. We've been under varying levels of shelter in place restrictions for months now. Just want to ask how how are you and your family doing right now?
1: We're doing good. Um, I think that uh, I think about it as we're all in. A variety of situations, and uh, this is really unprecedented. I think that's the word that I keep on hearing is unprecedented, and it's important that we understand that we're all in really different situations. I mean, there's you know some of our friends and colleagues that you know are now caretakers. They are you know teachers for their children, and as a result, you know this pandemic has. Created a lot of anxiety and stress about the future, whether that's financially or whether that's you know from a health perspective, um, and really you know questioning on what should we be doing, and there's not a lot of very clear guidance, and so. I feel like personally, I'm in a really good position and um, my family is safe, but we've all been affected by it. There's so much positive that has been occurring that maybe isn't getting communicated um, as much as um, the negative, but at the same time, I think that we all recognize how, how serious this really is.
0: When you refer to the positive, I know that you've seen opportunities emerge um, from this. How do you think that Moby has done with its response? I
1: think that we have absolutely done a great job. I think it Moby is a great example of a company that has responded not only to our clients and our participants but also to our employees and it feels you know, right now, especially meaningful to be part of an organization that is really uniquely focused on helping people improve their health as the world's attention is on health and health care. Um, there's so much change that's happening. But what we have learned through this process is that our products and services make a difference. We knew that before the pandemic, but we are seeing that. You know, three times over now that we're in the middle of the pandemic.
0: Do you feel like your role as a leader at Moby has been transformed in any way as a result of the pandemic?
1: I think it has, in the sense that. Um you do need to communicate more. It's really a time where we need to be hypersensitive to our employees, recognizing that you know they have a lot of responsibilities um, that are outside of work um, and being able to be flexible, being able to have the conversation if they want to have the conversation about their concerns, uh, getting back to really uh, re-communicating and communicating again about the stability of the organization and how we're doing as a company to at least alleviate um, those types of particular you know, stressors, if you will, I think is really important. And so as a leader, it's made me personally just more hypersensitive to um, ensuring that we're not just talking about work, but we're talking about um, personal lives and we're talking about strategies and things that we can do to all kind of still be effective in a very, very different environment than we've ever operated in before.
0: Well, stepping back to, the idea of working and being effective, if you had one piece of advice to offer to women or others that are underrepresented in the UX and CX design industry right now, what would it be?
1: I think it goes back to our conversation earlier about owning your career. And so when I think about you know, what that really means, it's being open to new possibilities, which we talked about. I think it's building your network and most importantly, not being afraid to ask for help. I find that sometimes there's hesitation of asking somebody to help you get introduced to someone or to give you feedback or to help you to take another step in your career or find a new opportunity. And I know that when people ask me, that is something that I feel responsible for reacting to and responding to. And so I would just say that people are actually really well, willing to um, help others in their careers. So don't be afraid to ask.
0: Well, I'd like to thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, Your openness and vulnerability in this discussion is totally valuable and you're clearly a model of resilience. Um, I hope that you can get back to the path of the gods or whatever uh, destination you want to get to, to continue expanding and exploring as soon as possible. Thank you. Before I let you go though, I want to ask you a question that we're asking all of our guests. If you could take anything back to the drawing board for a complete user centric overhaul, what would it be? It
1: would be medication management. I feel like medication management for the average consumer, um, but more particularly for the consumers that uh, we work with who have a tendency to have a number of different medications that they're Um, managing and potentially a number of different providers that have um, prescribed those medications. I feel like that is something that um, absolutely needs user design review. Because if you think about it, the most common way that people actually manage their medications is still, you know, that plastic pill box. And even though we've seen innovations in the space, so companies like PillPack that was just recently bought by Amazon doing kind of combined medications. There's still so much education and need that is around this whole process where I think that we could actually have much more innovative ways to help people to align with the the adherence advice that they have. You know, at Moby, we um, believe that this is an important component to your overall health. And we recently launched new services where we actually have pharmacists that do medication reviews to help um, consumers better understand what they're taking. Um, But at the same time, that daily routine of taking medication, um, understanding the potential implications of various medications together is something that I don't believe that consumers fully understand, especially as you start moving up in age in the population. And it's something that absolutely could uh, use a a complete and total design overhaul.
0: It sounds just from how passionately you're speaking about this, that you may already have a hypothesis about this. Do you? I do. I
1: actually believe that there's an opportunity to marry the technology with educational services. So there's a lot of apps that are out there, but I think that there's an opportunity to actually package these things in better ways so that Um, and consumers can actually take advantage of them. So today it feels to me like there are a lot of point solutions as opposed to a full holistic um, solve for the problem.
0: Well, Meg, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today on BerryCast. It has been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you so much. This has been great.